everybody, get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. we got a great show today. I want to start off by thanking our sponsors, the folks at ProFish, The Point, Tony and Joe's, Nick's Riverside Grill, and the Ivy City Smokehouse. And I want to congratulate their brilliance for being sponsors of the show. Well, it they, is a- we can't be here without their help, so it's really incredible. And they're amazing restaurants, so check them out. I would be here no matter what. <laughs> yes, All right, so drink segment. Very interesting guy joins us for drinks today. Glendon Hartley is co-owner of U Street's Celebrated Service Bar. And North he's, America's 50 Best. Yeah, they made Hello. that list. And he's a partner at uh, the equally as celebrated Peruvian Concepts Causa and Bar Amazonia. And he's fascinating. He is a cultural citizen of the world who's traveled and researched to infuse his hospitality concepts and cocktails with really Very unique blends of international influences. Can't wait for him to make some cocktails for us shortly. And we're not going to stop talking about cocktails because Lucas B. for Beard Smith is with (laughs) us. He's a self-described mad scientist of the D.C. craft bartending scene. He's a spirits educator. He's a Line Hotel's beverage director and co-owner of Made to Measure Cocktails. We want to talk about his quest to bring whole botanicals back into the purview of the working mixologist. Can he do it? We'll see. Rick Easton is a James Beard Award-nominated owner of the Jersey City cult favorite bakery, Bread and Salt. He's got a riveting cookbook manifesto out called Bread and How to Eat It. He co-wrote it with his partner in life and one of our old friends and one of Eater's leaders, Melissa McCart, who joins us later on the show. We're going to talk about um, their approach to bread because bread is an essential uh, component of every meal, and it should be an essential component of our life. And sometimes it gets short shrift, so we're going to hear all about that. And Ana Valera is cracking up as the genius entrepreneur behind Hook Hall, the event space and community gathering place. She's now the driving force behind D.C.'s only indoor roller skating and pickleball venue, Kraken with a K, Courts with a K, and Skates. And And we're going to figure out the pickleball craze and why it is where it is. And I think you're single-handedly bringing roller skating back because I'm seeing it all she over the is. place. She is. And I've tried Can... to hit a ball with a pickle. It just doesn't work. So but I want to hear more okay. about it. Okay. Oh, my God. All right, Glendon. Glendon. Let's step up to the plate. Hello. It's been so long. It has. It has. How are you? Back. I'm doing very well. How are you? you know, Excellent. You're an interesting guy. So give us a little bit of background about you and your travels, all of that. So first and foremost, I came to D.C. in search of education, education for all things beverage um, and Throughout my career, I've studied brandy in multiple countries. I love fruit. Um, I love. I think the very first time you came fruit. on Foodie and the Beast, we were talking about pisco. We were. Was it pisco or yeah, brandy? It was pisco. We were talking about brandy, um, and then we did a just a snippet on pisco. I yes. Think. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. Um, so I study old world brandy in France, Spain, uh, Italy, um, Spain. Uh, sorry. Yes. <laughs> and then. Uh, well, you like Spain. New world brandy. <laughs> which is South America, so Pisco specifically. That's mm-hmm. what we're here talking about today with Calsa. Okay, great. Well, let's back up a little bit because you sort of made your big splash here with Service Bar. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about the bar because it's a real industry favorite. I mean, I know the layperson loves it too, but there's something about uh, the industry people in the cocktail world and chefs 
who really love Service Bar. So yeah. can we talk about its concept? And I love them for loving it. I know, right? Um, we, myself and my business partner, Chad, really wanted a, a cocktail bar where we could go and actually have fun. It wasn't dark. It wasn't, you know, candle lit, and it had great music. Um, mm -hmm. So we set out to make Service Bar a place where regular neighborhood people can come, industry professionals can come, cocktail masters can come, and we're doing the elevated uh, mixology, if you will, mm -hmm. which we don't call it, uh, but we're doing those but things you just it. in a in a very <laughs> in a very non pretentious way. And, and you I have left out uh, one of the most important things. It's got the biggest and maybe the best hamburger. In the world. David loves that oh. burger. We ate at the bar. Killed me. That yeah. burger was a labor of love over six months of R&D for that burger. Mm -hmm. really Where was I when you were doing the R and the D? <laughs> yeah. okay. We have to bring you in next time. Yeah. Okay, what are we making first? Today we'll be making a Pisco Tonic Spritz. Um, mm. It contains sparkling wine. Um, Pisco, obviously grape brandy from Peru. Um, and then grape I guess sweetened grape juice, if you will, okay. um, and tonic water. Um, tonic is from Peru. Quinine, quina, is from Peru, but most people don't know that. So I did this not kind know of that. brings no. it all home. Excellent. All right. Yep. Well, while you get to making that, we're going to bring in Lucas B. Smith. We're going to talk more. A mad scientist. Yes. He's a craft bartender, and he's got some uh, some revolutionary, <laughs> I guess, in a way, but also retro ways of looking at. Cocktail prep. So, okay. how are you, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you guys? How about a little 411 on you? Yes, please. Well, um, I grew up in a. Now, I grew up in a. You only have 10 minutes, dude, so it's not going <laughs> to okay. be. If you're going to say a log cabin, we're right. never going to get the need, show over. We need a shortened version. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I guess as soon as I arrived at the scene in DC in 2008, mm -hmm. um, I was really fascinated with ways to. And this is kind of early days for DC in the cocktail business. So in those days, we were just trying to kind I mean, of. We were kind of uh, on the way already. I mean, Todd Thrasher's uh, yeah. PX had already been out. You know, early-ish um, days. Yeah. We had the recession. Well, no, Derek Brown's stuff was already up and running. I mean, we were we were coming up. Well, in two thousand and eight, we were just a. The we were Gibson like in opens it. in two thousand nine, right? And that was Derek's opening consultation, and he right. left there to open Passenger. And Columbia Room. Right. But he was already at other restaurants before that where sure. he was really manifesting his bar. Sorry. Go ahead. No doubt. Um, uh, we look at it from the perspective of now. We're like two mm -hmm. or three years in at that point, maybe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got Todd. You've got Gina. You've got Derek. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing a lot of fun stuff. And I'm kind of coming in in that second wave. And from the beginning, I was really inspired by Todd's work that he was doing in Virginia, mm -hmm. um, mostly at Restaurant Eve at that point, where... Virginia was a lockdown state where you couldn't have access to a lot of the international brands that the cocktail scene is now sort of synonymous with. You know, sure. Rexardo Maraschino, uh, Chartreuse, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Lots of problems, things you just couldn't get. So he took it upon himself to make them at his own places. Right. And, you know, in some ways kind of a progenitor, at least the local progenitor of what we now call wild style. Mm -hmm. And I was really motivated by that, partly because one of my co-bartenders at Marvin back in the day Jake Worth was one of his number ones at Eve. And mm -hmm. he was always talking about Todd this, Todd that. And I'm like, well, I want to be as good as Todd. Todd's a good guy. We Todd's a great Todd. guy. Be more like Todd. That's my recommendation to everyone. Right. And I took that to heart. So even just from the beginning, I'm trying to find ways to put my own special, maybe maybe not special, but my own unique touches on things by mm -hmm. working with whole botanicals. And fast forward. You know what? Explain just for the uninitiated what a whole botanical is. 
Okay, so a whole botanical is going to be basically, and this is kind of this is a term that comes kind of from the uh, the food um, science world or flavor production world. Mm-hmm. Are you going to work from extracts? Are you going to work from whole botanicals? So whole botanical means you're working with the plant as it comes out of the ground, mm-hmm. um, however it's processed. Um, and so basically, the thing that I'm most concerned about is really now is the question of bitter botanicals in particular, because it's my opinion that fundamentally, if Cocktailing has a place in the culinary world. It's marked off by mastery and manipulation of bitterness. Mm-hmm. And fascinatingly, every, almost every mixologist I know or bartender mm-hmm. buys their bitter botanicals from somebody else's prepackaged mix. Now, that's not a way to, that's not how most people would think of what Angostura bitters is or Campari is right. or Aperol is. But those guys control the formulas. They're relatively secretive about what's in them. So we don't really know how to make bitterness. We know how to use it, but we don't know how to manipulate it ourselves from whole botanical. Okay. There are a lot of reasons why that's the case. Not really time to get into it now. No. But basically, uh, the analogy in my mind is imagine a baker whose job is to make cakes. Mm -hmm. Or bread, since we're talking breads in just a bit. Um, In this case, (laughs) I'm going to talk about cakes. Um, But yes, bake. I definitely don't want to rule out bread. But... For cakes, uh, if you could only buy your fondants and dressings and icings pre-made by somebody else, mm-hmm. and it was your job to mix those together to make your finished product. Whereas, you know, anyone that watches three episodes three episodes of Bake Off sees the magic is in how the frosting and those flavors are directly manipulated. Mm-hmm. All right, so well, let me ask you a question: Is there a class of their their plants that yes, that qualify as bitters? Absolutely. What um, are they? So the most po- prominent ones, the ones that people are going to know, Glenda just mentioned one, cinchona or mm-hmm. quina or quinquina, is um, the bark of a South American tree. Um, you've got gentian root. You've got uh, wormwood, of course, in all its many forms, artemisia class, um, blessed thistle. I mean, there are, there are hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. And again, for the most part, uh, we only know the flavors of a few of them, if we are really practicing hard at it. But the point of view that I have is that bitterness always adds something interesting to cocktails, even if you don't recognize that it's bitter, because our brains recognize it, even if our so-called our palates don't, mm-hmm. or our bodies do if so our brain doesn't. So how are you incorporating bitterness into the cocktail programs that you're doing today, like at the Line Hotel? For example, so I make, uh, I've developed a system that kind of recalls old soda jerk manufacturing techniques. So mm-hmm. it starts with reading those manuals from like the 1900s, or early 1900s, 1910, 1920, where that was like the work of mixology was happening during Prohibition. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically learning, and they're, and they're not, they're working from whole botanicals, of course. They're working from whole materials. They're working from lots of interesting materials, if you remember some of the stories about some things that now we can't buy anymore, but we used to be able to get at the pharmacy and a Coke. Right. But... <laughs> So that's really how it works. Um, different botanicals extract better at higher proof alcohol. Different, some other ones like a little bit lower proof. Mm-hmm. And so I have a catalog of over 100 botanicals that I've extracted for use in the bar. Wow. At the line. And How are you using that? I, I mean, you called yourself a mad scientist, but is it really beakers and Well, I'm usually called a mad scientist. Mm-hmm. Bonk put me up to that. Okay. You did the right thing. Yes. Well, why are you so mad? Right. Why are you angry? That's, That's what I'm angry to me. Yeah. Is I it all the bitters? I feel pretty is it because people say... Are you bitter? 
I'm a pretty bitter guy. Okay. It's but I mean, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sweet too, so it balances out. Okay, good. Well, as, as a good cocktail should be balanced, correct? As it should be. So basically what happens is, for example, um, gentian root it forms the primary bittering agent in Angostura bitters, which okay. is the most popular and most well-sold bitters in the world. Right, and most people don't know what, what it is. No, most people don't really know. Right. Um, a, lot, a lot of bartenders do, but they don't really know. They couldn't pick it out of a lineup if you give them a taste of it. Okay. But the beautiful thing about this, you do a 10% volume to weight, mm-hmm. or weight to volume extraction. So I take 10 grams of gentian root, soak it in 100 milliliters of 40% alcohol. Okay. I let it sit for a few days until it smells right, run it through some other equipment if I need to, Strain it out, and then I have basically a 10 to 1 ratio. So if I have one mil of gentian root mm-hmm. extract, I have 0.1 grams of gentian root Okay. expressed. And the interesting thing is you can take anything. You can take a margarita. You can take a whiskey soda. You can take a whiskey sour. You can take a daiquiri. And if you put 0.1 grams of gentian per cocktail. So is that like a dash? Better. Is that what we're talking about? Like a dash? A one okay. dash would be one mil, yeah. Okay. All right, wait, I'm going to pause you right there. We have to take a quick break. Sure. Great. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. London is passing around some gorgeous cocktails. We'll yeah, be back in just a sec. Okay, so anybody who knows me knows that if it's sports, I will watch it on TV, except for cricket. I don't do cricket. But I love going <laughs> to watch my sports at Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. It's fabulous. They've got 21 TV screens down there. Uh, they've got a great selection of beers. The food is terrific. They've got a dish called the Crazy Big Nachos that is exactly as described, and a Detroit-style deep-dish pizza that's just nuts. And there's nothing like watching a game, stuff in your face, with a bunch of people that are enjoying it just like you are. Nick's Riverside Grill in Georgetown. If you love sports and you love fun food, go there. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Lucas B. Smith, uh, who is a, um, you are a mad scientist of, of bartending and mixology and, and how you use whole botanicals. We've talked about process there. We've got a couple of minutes left. How, give us some examples of the recipes for some of your favorite cocktails that include these, these bitters. Sure. Um, right, so like you were just talking about your version of Angostura bitters. How do you, you how do you use it like in a margarita, or how what does it do, and how does it elevate? So I'm gonna be at my bar. I'm gonna use uh, like milliliter pipettes to do this because I'm pretty anal about precision. Mm-hmm. But you could put it in a dasher and strike it away. And I do want to say I don't consider this a bitters, right? It's not a compound botanical recipe. It doesn't have any sugar in it. It doesn't have any coloring in it. It's just there to create contrast. And the beautiful thing about bitterness is bitterness mitigates both sweetness and sourness. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons why adding a dash of bitters into almost any cocktail is going to make it taste a little bit rounder and But it is really smoother. hard to believe, like, when you hear about a dash of bitters. You know, it just it's hard to believe the effect that it can have on a whole cocktail because a dash is so little. It's so little, but it's an, if you tasted it on its own, it would be immediately apparent why you don't taste it on its own. Right. It's why, like a salt. It's, exa- it's very much like a salt. It's mm-hmm. a seasoning. Um, and the problem with Angostura, and I'm not going to say Angostura is a wonderful product. Don't take anything away from them. Mm-hmm. But when you add a dash of Angostura to something, you're also adding a lot of cinnamon. You're adding a lot of orange flavors. You're adding mm-hmm. loads of clove. And those things aren't always welcome if you want to have a clean, bright flavor. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about gentian root or cinchona or even wormwood is that they're clean, bright, simple flavors that mm-hmm. create contrast between sweetness and sourness and round out a drink. So in the... Uh, mixology bartending community. 
is there are there a lot of people who are like, yeah, I want that extract of wormwood, or are, are there all? Is there a lot of need for a lot of these botanicals, and that's why. Glenda, it's like, yes, I want that. Thank you, Glenda, for answering my question. But do you know what I mean? Like, so in the D.C. community, are you supplying? I aim to do that. Okay. Uh, part of the, the process here, and, and, I, and I, you know, I feel like I kind of stumbled onto this uh, by playing along, playing around, trying to make tonic water for 10 straight years right. until I finally figured out how to create these extractions so that I could create consistent products. That's what mm -hmm. it's all always about right. for me. So I need to make it scalable in order to make it manageable. And in the process i figured out that it improves literally everything without mm. the distraction of the other spices in the blend that you don't always want but let me ask you a question when it comes to these the products the initial botanicals that you're using in the to make this a lot of that has to do with the quality of that product right and how do you get consistency because you know every year there could be a good crop there could be a bad crop the terroir like all the different things so but that's like anything else well i know like but wine, i'm just sort of like, curious yeah. it is um there are some exceptions, though. I mean, in the spice world, you know, for example, you don't want um, you don't want all spice that's fresh. Mm -hmm. You want all spice that's been aged. Of course. And part of the reason why you want that is that it's been sufficiently dried out so mm -hmm. that it's consistent when the time comes to muddle right. it. So the long and short of it is that bitter botanicals in particular maintain their potency. They're not mm -hmm. so much about aroma but about texture. Okay. And for that reason, they can be really dry. They can, frankly, be really old. Um, and the drier, the better. Okay. So it's not a question of freshness. And wh what can we see you doing, because we have about a minute left, at the line? Like, where are you at the line? How can people get in and get one of your cocktails? So every cocktail on the menu at the line features these tactics and techniques. Cool. Um, so Are you there? I mean, do we find you there? Or I'm not? not tending bar very often. Every other Monday, I do, because I, I work in the mornings, really. I mean, I'm here now. Mm -hmm. I was there then. Um, every other Monday, we do an industry night on the roof, and I feature some new product that features these techniques. Cool. All right. This is really good, Glenn, by the way. Yes, it's yeah, delicious, it's really London. Good. Okay. Um, Lucas B. Smith, tell us where we can find you on Instagram. Lucas.b.smith, okay. at Lucas.b.smith. It's pretty good. Okay. Thank you. Good. Thanks so much. All right, Glendon. I, I got a question for Glenn. Well, Wait, this is delicious. It's delicious. It's delicious. I was worried when you described it, and I should know better because you always make a super balanced cocktail, that it was going to be a little a little sweet for my taste, yeah. but it isn't at all. The thing about this is you're using grapes in like three different expressions. So you have the sparkling wine, you have the grape juice, and then you have the pisco, which is made from distilled grape juice or wine, if you will. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to take you back not too many years because you still got that baby face. Hmm. Look at that. Not a wrinkle. But he's on married his. now. All right. Well, that's congratulations. But Thank you. you're a little boy in the Caribbean. Where did your interest in all of this come from? And what, I mean, it blossomed. Yeah. It isn't just, gee, I want to be a bartender or gee, I want to mix drinks or whatever. It really, it became like a passion and a research project. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, if we're going back that far, uh, I've always been uh, in the kitchen cooking with my mother and my grandmother. Mm. And the one thing that I you know, hone in on for, you know, my Caribbean roots is the use of all the ingredients, everything, nothing gets thrown away. Um, so that has kind of stayed with me throughout my entire career, mm -hmm. using the ingredients to their utmost potential. Well, that makes sense. And then how did you, when, okay, so you open the service bar and you start, you know, this, you become this like gathering place for people in the industry. Yeah. And I know that, that you had Carlos Delgado 
you guys had a relationship because I remember you coming on the show and being like, we're going to do something. Yeah. Like, it's coming up. So how did the idea for both Amazonia and CASA, both James Beard Award, uh, uh, James Beard nominated concepts, uh, how did they both, how did that all happen? So Carlos and I actually met when I was doing a cocktail pairing for one of his dinners. Um, a rum brand brought us together. Oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, so when he was consulting on a project to open a Peruvian restaurant, he called me in to consult on that project. That was 2012. That was called Ocopa on H Street Northeast. Oh my God, I remember um, that. And that was really my first excursion into Pisco. I've always been a brandy lover, studied brandy, but he really um, showed me what Pisco was and South American ingredients just in general. And since then, we've always been trying to build a new restaurant where we can educate the public on, you know, what is Peru, what are Peruvian ingredients, and what is Pisco. No one knows what Pisco is still, and it's a problem. Well, all right, we're going to go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. We're going to go down yeah. that rabbit hole in a sec. Why don't you tell us what you're making next, please? So for right now, yes, we're having the Pisco tonic spritz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's grape juice with a little bit of sugar. Um, mm-hmm. You have tonic from Peru, uh, and then you have sparkling wine. And uh, a Pisco Achalado, which is a blend. So it's a blend of three different Piscos. They all have their individual flavors and aromas. So okay. it's meant to create depth of flavor. But gotcha. it's a soup. It's a super simple drink that people can make at home. I love Pisco and tonic. It's my guilty pleasure. Okay. Pisco tonic, lime, and ice. I'm good. Great. Uh, but this is, you know, spritz for the summer. Excellent. Okay, right. great. Thanks. Okay, so uh, Rick Easton is the James Beard Award James Beard Award nominated owner of Jersey City's cult favorite bakery Bread and Salt, and he and his life partner and co-author Melissa McCart, uh, herself a leading expert and opinion maker in the world of edibles and potables, mm-hmm. <laughs> have co- well. I'm, I can't you know, see you, Melissa. A, Come on. That's a pretty elegant way of introducing you, Melissa. Um, uh, they co-authored a book that they call a cookbook and manifesto about bread and how to eat it. And, and it's although gorgeous. Nikki's going to lead into this, but I want to say, since I'm much older, we grew up, you know, going to restaurants and they would put bread on the table and it would be, you know, basically like soft cardboard and nobody cared about the bread. And then I met Nikki and now I care about bread. And 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 <laughs> it's it's important, you know, people, bread is is truly the staff of life. And it's it's, you know, it's gotten short shrift in some circles and you guys are, you know, you're you're okay, you're taking up a really you're, long well time. You're, but you're proselytizing for you know uh, breads really respect. old school bread the yeah. way it was before it became super industrialized right well and I, you know the history in the book is really terrific I mean Rick and you really tell the story of bread in this country and sort of how we sort of lost our way with it so can you talk about sort of his passion and your passion and how you brought it to the pages. Um, sure. Um, Rick essentially is self-taught. Um, his parents were, or they are professors. And so his natural inclination was to sort of do a historical deep dive, um, into like sort of people's relationship with bread. Mm -hmm. And that was paired with a trip to the Middle East and Southern Italy, where he really learned, um, essentially how differently people eat bread and how different the quality of bread has been. Mm -hmm. Um, He started out by having a CSA in Charlottesville before I knew him. So this is like right before Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. And I met him with you in Pittsburgh, like what, 12 years ago? 
Yeah, it was a really long time ago. We've yes. been together for what feels like forever. But mm-hmm. um, in any event, he was he was at the time he was partnered with um, this guy Ephraim, who has a bakery in Richmond now that's doing really well. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to break out, off and start his own thing. And and what he had come to realize is that people had a really complicated relationship with bread and that you have the people who are like sort of 1970s and 80s old school who go to an Italian restaurant and want that Italian squishy bread on the table. Mm -hmm. And then you had like sort of people who might be watching their carbs who thought that bread was like evil and didn't want to eat it. And so he, he sort of was like, how do I educate people that there's like a middle way and essentially it it became like starting at the beginning this is how people have eaten bread for centuries and like let's consider like a, a healthier way to introduce bread well one of the points that's made in the book is that i mean if you can liken bread to wine you know where wheat grows and who grows it and year in year out it you know it creates different tastes and different taste profiles and you know we're big italophiles and the bread in florence that comes from the fields around Florence is different than the bread in Sicily, and the bread in Sardinia is little. Well, the flatbread, the flatbread, and um, Pen- And you can, I mean, you can be a bread connoisseur the same way you can be a wine connoisseur. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Rick is really close with this um, Italian import group called Gustiamo, where right. the head of it, Beatrice, imports flowers from around Italy. Okay, I thought her and name which... was Beatrice. Well, no, it's Beatrice <laughs> in, Itali- in Italiano. Well, so, um, she, you know, he she's always giving him flowers, and it takes him a bit of a learning curve to figure out how to use it, because, mm-hmm. like, essentially, flour from outside of Naples, for example, is going to be different than flour from, you know, right. Idaho, well, and so, so and the tastes are different. Well, listen, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I really want to talk about the fact that you did this whole book about how to eat bread, but it's not really about how to make bread, which I love. But I know that that caused a lot of a lot of issues when you were publishing this book. So this is David and Nikki Nellis. We'll be back in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're talking to Melissa McCart, who is co-author along with her. Life partner Rick Easton of Bread and Salt. Uh, uh, it's a it's it's a bread manifesto, and um, it's a but it's not a bread baking book. So Melissa, can we talk about that? I mean, here you have this guy who's obsessed with bread, who loves to make bread, and people stand online for his bread, and yet he writes a book that's really not about making bread. Sure, absolutely. So historically there had been in you know sort of european communities and in the middle east a place where people went to get their bread whether it was a bakery or a hearth of some sort and they would essentially take their bread home and um eat it you know fresh to you know sort of rock hard reconstituted in water right and while it might seem convenient you know for a baker to say don't make your own bread in fact um I mean, he learned and taught himself at home and, you know, having lived with him, I've been a part of this at times where, you know, the 
he's melted off the appliance, you know, the handles on the <laughs> oven. And I mean, it's just not very efficient. And so, you know, can I just wait, say, I, wait, I, I know that. he's famous, but that's no big deal. I've done that. No, no, no. But I read in the book, he like, because he was so, he wanted this authenticity to the bread or the pizza crust or whatever it was he was doing that he like lit a fire in his oven. <laughs> yeah, he, he did. I mean, it's, it's sort of funny because he, you know, he, he just, was so frustrated with bread baking at home and he was so delighted by um you know having the opportunity more space and proofers and things like that um to sort of stretch out and make bread for other people mm -hmm. but my former boss and our friend Mark Bittman would mm -hmm. argue the exact opposite and you know he's very much into baking at home but you know one of the things about the book is it's it's a bit subversive in that you really have to have the luxury of time and money to make your own bread at home, mm -hmm. where if you're working a lot, it's just not something that you can do. Wait a minute. Is that Rick in the background with a stomach ache or your dog? <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. That's please. Right. Are you kidding? If you, we That's were at our house, right. it would no sound worries. like a chorus. Mm -hmm. So, Melissa, so when it came to writing this book with Rick, and the focus is really about using bread in dishes or using bread to sup up things. How did the two of you come about putting the recipes together? So this is essentially a collection of what's in Rick's bakery and mm -hmm. how he eats. Mm -hmm. And we've had people over to the bakery into our house and their mind is kind of blown by it because essentially, you know, he'll make a bunch of, salads and have a loaf of bread and it's beautiful and satisfying mm -hmm. and you know, maybe some cheeses or what have you but it's just um it's a different way of eating honestly like when i read like that grapefruit salad totally speaks to me and it's it's very mediterranean right it's very southern italy just to have a table with all different salads and a great loaf of bread without sort of the traditional well, you know, appetizer, entree. Last night for dinner, we had a great salad. We had sure. a, a with uh, bread. You know, a, a really good bread from Whole Foods. No, that's not from Whole Foods. It's no? from the bakery. Around yeah, the from the bakery around the corner. Sorry, mm -hmm. I take that back. And with a with unbelievable cheese on it, and that was dinner. And the bread was, you know, an equal partner in the taste, I and mean, it was fabulous. But it wasn't a fancy schmancy dinner, and it wasn't, you know, bread wasn't the star. That's not what he's all about. Bread is a great accompaniment to a great meal. Right. And then there are two other things that I essentially want to mention as takeaways from our talking. And and the first is making your own breadcrumbs and toasting them and salting them. Uh, really, it's like the most versatile product in your pantry. Mm -hmm. um, you can put it on pasta, which is so fantastic. Uh, we put breadcrumbs on pasta all the time for a textural component. Mm -hmm. You can put it on ice cream, which is mind blowing. Um, but the other part it's is like a toasted almond. Yeah, yeah, it's so wonderful. But the other part is it essentially extends um, your nice ingredients. So think of it as a way of I'm going to spend a little bit more money on ingredients that are nice, and I'm going to buy fewer things that I have to put on a salad or what have you and allow a bread to to sort of fill in for those ingredients that you're that might maybe are not as good. I mean essentially use fewer ingredients and allow bread to sort of stretch 
your meals. Well, mm-hmm. I want to get to a couple of the the sort of the, the helpful hints that you give in the book too. Um, and this is for everybody from the Wonder Bread crowd to the crowd that goes to the local baker and buys it. You say do not buy bread that's pre-sliced because the bread dries out and you're shortening the life cycle of the bread. And um, that's a hell of a good hint because – Is there a question there? No, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, people don't understand. No, because there's a lot of – doesn't have to be a question. Okay. What you're giving is a lot of no-brainer information in here that, that really – is something that we don't think about. So it is a brainer. I mean, um, uh, bread knives. How many people have actually have bread knives? And you're giving those kinds of hints too. And you, but I got to ask about this one. Here's the question. She's trying to speak. Sorry. Speak. No, um, I, I think like we have, we have what looks like Stonehenge on our counter with, you know, different bread and different stages, you know, from fresh bread to like very hard bread or what have you. And and essentially that crust is acting as a protect as acting as a protection. And so, you know, maybe you're buying a kilo of bread for twelve bucks or whatever, but it lasts literally forever. Mm. I love that. All right, Melissa, we could talk for so much longer, and hopefully we will. Why don't we? We will on industry night, but you won't be there. It'll just be me and her. Um, Tell everybody, please. We love the book. It's gorgeous. The photography is beautiful. I mean, there's so much more to talk about. Tell everybody, please, where we can find you and Rick and the book. Okay. Um, You can buy the book on Amazon. It is, it was published by Knopf. Um, Mm -hmm. Definitely get the book. Our photographer, Johnny Fogg, uh, was a fashion photographer, so it's like very fashionista bread pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bonnie Benwick, of um, formerly of the Washington Post, did all the recipe testing. We're so grateful for her. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever are in Jersey City, you can come visit the bakery on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All right, uh, from ten to four. Thank you so much. Thanks, Miss. Good to see great. you. Bye. See you. Bye. All right, Glendon. Glendon. We're back to you. Yes. Okay. So. You decide to, I'm just like going back to where we were. We, you decide to go in and create with Chad and uh, Carlos, Casa and Amazonia. So let's talk a little bit about the creation. So uh, actually the name Causa um, has a few different meanings to me. Mm -hmm. First off, when we opened Ocopa over a decade ago, Carlos fed me Causa every day and I hated it. Like, literally hated it. You I, have to tell people. Most people when, don't know what Kausa is. I just ate it every day. So Kausa is, um, it's whipped potato, like mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. served like room temperature, but they mix it in an ingredient called aji amarillo, which is a Peruvian, like, Cut. yellow pepper. Like, no. Um, and it's yellow pepper, but it's it's a milder pepper, and mm-hmm. they put it on everything. It's delicious. Doesn't it have cod mixed in sometimes, too? You can have fish on top. Most of the time, it's some type of, like, Honestly, it's a chicken salad, if you will, mm. like uh, something with chicken and cream on top of the whipped potato. Right. And you serve it as if you would serve like nigiri with uh, rice and fish on top. It's potato with, you know, protein on top. Nice. And it's it's delicious. But uh, I ended up hating it. Um, so I thought it was a, a great way to like give homage to the Ocopa Project by calling this restaurant Gausa uh-huh. um, because it's like a one, you know, but uh, it also in slang in Peru, in Lima, it means Gausas means like buddies like friends so chad myself and carlos are friends so it made even more sense to call the place you know gausa okay can we talk about what we have going on in front of us please so this is a beautiful collection of pisco in front of you um so that's one of our pisco flights we have three different pisco flights to choose one to choose from um there's one that we choose for you there's one with current vintages 
all Pisco is inherently vintage. So one distillation, one harvest, it's a snapshot of those grapes from that particular year. And then we have a uh, memory lane flight that is very rare and uh, Pisco that you're never going to see again. Uh, so this is a blend of Piscos. The first one, we have Quebranta. Quebranta is the widest grown grape in Peru. Uh, and it's like the workhorse of Peruvian Pisco. Uh, in the middle, you have Torrentel. That's also what we're all drinking here. Torrentel is a grape varietal that's very floral and citrusy. It works great in every kind of cocktail. And then the last one you have there is the rarest Pisco grape, which is Uvina. And I had to fly to Peru multiple times drive about six hours into the Andes Mountains to this distillery to get Uvina, and I finally got it. And uh, I'm literally the only person in the U.S. that actually has this great varietal in their restaurant. Well, question. Well, no, no, no. We don't no. have time. We have to get. I, we're going to come question. back to him. We're going to come back. Okay. Thank fair. you. We're going to dig in. Okay. So pickleball is like really hot right now, and I don't understand why, but we have somebody in studio who is going to feed that The queen beast. of pickleball. Right. It's kind of a big deal, Nikki. Okay. Right. I know Anna it's Valero. a big deal. Go ahead. All right. Well, let's just say you are the genius behind Hook Hall, and, mm-hmm. and, and it's how it has changed that neighborhood. Uh, and uh, for whatever reason, you decided to do something else and open up a roller rink and pickleball. Not do something facility. else, add to it. Well, I'm Bro. just saying. I mean, you're you're you know you didn't have enough trouble, so <laughs> <laughs> so you did this. Uh, are you a pickleballer? That's the first question. You know what? I am. I am not a pickleball aficionado. Um, however, it. What we loved about bringing Hook Hall to life was the fact that it became this community gathering space. Right. right. And that it was super multi-generational. And we were always doing different types of programming. And one of the pieces of programming that we did as a pop-up were these roller skating nights. Because we have these beautiful concrete floors. Right. <laughs> and so it started almost Doesn't as a Doesn't it hurt joke. to fall on concrete? No. Well, you just don't fall. Oh. Right. Hello. You don't fall. You I guess I won't be there then. <laughs> <laughs> and what was really beautiful about when we had the roller skating nights were just, again, it's that like, Super multi-generational people mm-hmm. bringing their – we would do both kids and adult skate. Mm-hmm. And families coming and getting super excited that they could do something in the district with their kids. And we were like, wait, there's there's this beautiful community. And right. there's this heritage of, of roller skating in D.C. already. We just don't have any indoor rinks. And so when we had this opportunity with a blank canvas of 70,000 square feet – Right, down in – Penn Quarter, right? We're in um, Bryant Street. So we're oh, in oh, the Bryant Street, like 4th and Rhode Island, yes, right over sorry. by the Home Depot. Mm-hmm. For those of sorry us in D.C., that. that's like mm-hmm. our marker. And <laughs> the so we have the 70,000 square foot of empty space that right. we could do this. I, we, the MRP is our partner in the project. They were like, what, what do you guys got? And we've been looking for a space to do pickleball because, to everyone's point, it's this explosion but where pickleball and roller skating intersect mm-hmm. is this beautiful, is this beautiful, just multi-generational, everyone can get behind it. There's no specific, it's not like, oh, only 25-year-olds like this. Right. right. It's that everyone likes it at different phases of their life. Well, we say, okay, wait, we as have we to... say in our world, altacockers can like yes. uh, pickleball. Okay, so we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about how you took that 70,000 square feet and put it together because that is a massive undertaking. And then let's talk about all the phases of it, okay? Awesome. This is David and Nikki Nellis, Booty and the Beast. We're sipping Pisco and we're playing pickleball. We'll be back in a sec. 
We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis talking to Ana Valero, who is the driving entrepreneurial force behind Hook Hall and now D.C.'s only indoor roller skating and pickleball venue, Kraken Courts and Skates. And the Kraken is with a K. You're cracking up. Oh, oh. We're uh, cracking but a, up. a bing, but a boom. So, um, why Kraken? Why Kraken? Why Kraken? So, Release um, the Kraken. Kraken is actually a brand that started in 2017. So we have um, two other locations besides the Bryant Street of Kraken that are axe throwing and rage rooms. Right. We have one in Penn Quarter and one up in Baltimore. And when we were thinking about a brand <laughs> to continue this idea of fun experiences, mm-hmm. you can do as both great team building and parties. It just made sense to But wait, pickle- is the rage room like I'm enraged and I got to get rid of it or a rage like... You know, like uh, more like a rave. Uh, more like I need catharsis. Oh so boy! So I'm gonna take. Do people ever porcelain. get confused and take the axes into the rage room? <laughs> My insurance broker. is Bye bye. Right. <laughs> Don't worry, nobody's listening. Don't worry. <laughs> All right, so cracking. And so cracking right. came from that idea of you know our parent company's Pirate Ventures, and so all of our brands have sort of this idea of you know adventure and and pirates and krakens were these mythical sea monsters that right. you. You know, they have all these tentacles. And so all these dis- different experiences that we bring under the Kraken brand are like different tentacles of it the It could have been monster. octopus, but you went with Kraken. I got it. I went with Kraken. It's, okay. It's the sound that an axe makes when it hits the board. Right. It's Kraken. Or your Kraken. skull. Yes. I love it. Well, okay, so now, but now <laughs> we're going like a little more, it's not as Kraken. Not as crazy, right? But like pickleball has taken Mainstream, off. Mainstream, right? And and you've got roller skating, which I mean to me is like of my '80s days. Like I'm gonna have to find like my purple satin like little bomber jacket <laughs> yes. and like my pink satin skates. I went with it. Um, but if she puts we that have on, disco balls. If she puts Excellent. that on, I'll never let her leave the house. <laughs> hubba hubba. Um, uh, so what? So how did you go about building it out? How many courts are there? Are there lessons? Like, let's talk about the general experience of it. All of the above. So you come in and we have 14 courts. And what's fun about this is both the the roller rink and the courts have cabanas with them. And so even if you don't want to come and play pickleball, we have a place for you to hang out in a cabana, have a drink. We've partnered with some great folks like City State on a collaboration beer called Crack and Quencher. That's Mm -hmm. just a really easy summer Mm -hmm. drink. We have cocktails for you. It's really designed to be a place for you to just another community gathering space where you can hang out. All right, let's get to the basics. How long can I reserve the court for and what's it cost to reserve a court? Uh, reserving a court on the weekend with a cabana is going to cost you 75 bucks for the whole All shebang. Four, right. Um, and for a What about like the paddle? Like, does it come with paddles and the ball? And For $199, you can have a two court reservation that comes with paddles, balls, pizzas, buckets of beer, oh my God. everything that you need for a party for you and up to 12 guests. Oh my God. Are you kidding? No. That's great. Thank you. That's and amazing. so you can do that for the pickleball side and on the roller skating rink. What's fun about the cabanas is they're skate in, skate out. And we have both kids' packages that are very similar or the adult skate packages for when we're 21 plus. I mean, I know I'm going to tell you something that you already know. That's smart. Well, <laughs> that aside. But there's literally nothing like this in the city. No, I don't even I don't even think there's anything like this in the suburbs or like so when we were in New York a couple of weeks ago. They have the city. Mm-hmm. They are turning over all the basketball courts and all the tennis to courts, pickleball and courts, pickleball courts. Pickleball, the right. public courts. And I was like, "What is happening here?" So the fact that you've created this indoor sort of entertainment space that incorporates that is amazing. 
So can we talk about pickleball for a second? We I don't can. get it. And um, I have pickle pros for you. I, that's my question. Like, are there lessons, classes? How does this work? So we have partnered with a number of different social sports leagues. So four nights a week, you can come and join a social sports league. So you don't even have to, you know, newbie on up. We have drop in. So if you don't have a pickle partner, like David said that he's not going to play, you can come in uh, four times a week and you can jump in and you'll have a bunch of other people that will play with based off of your skill level. Um, And then we have uh, pros. And so we have pros that will literally like no different than a tennis pro that will teach you how to play pickleball. And we have the same for roller skating. And what I think you would find fun is we are about to launch Wait, wait. A... Are we skating while we pickleball? Uh, uh, no, not yet. Not okay, yet. Not okay, yet. Okay. Not yet. But on the skating o- side... Only if you have a death wish. <laughs> I think I could do that. Maybe. Yeah, no. I'm not so great on my skates. But we're doing on Thursday night starting in a couple weeks, we're going to have a skate dance class where you can come in and do... Stop it's kind of it. like Zumba on skates. Oh, my God. You're talking my language. I'm so excited. I thought you might, I thought you might appreciate that. Yes. And so... Again, how can you just different ages, everyone come in, have a good time all in one place? And no, so, this sounds like a great place for offices and, you know, that kind of thing. We're seeing a lot. We're happy to put together. We're putting together a lot of office tournaments. Um, you know, we we like to celebrate competition. Fun. Right. And so we're doing a lot of tournaments. Today at 630, we have a couple spots left for we're doing a Pride Pickleball tournament. Cool. Um, and for the month, but... Stay tuned. We are going to have tournaments that everyone can enter every month. In addition to the, um, we're going to we have the professional DC pickleball team who's going to be in once a month, so you could actually play with the. All right, pros. this is brilliant, and you are brilliant. Thank yeah, you. really Anna. fabulous. All, All right. right, tell everybody where they can find you, please, online and on Instagram. You can find us online at Experience Kraken. That's K R A K E N dot com. Same place on the Instagram and the TikToks. Um, but come on down, have a have a cold drink with us, and uh, hit the courts. I can't wow. wait to come check it out. I'm very all right. I'm very excited now. I am. I'm very excited. It's gonna be great. Okay, good. All right, Glendon, come on back. That's what she said when we got married. By I the did. Way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. I mean, it's been almost. I mean, we've been she together says, for very, thirty years. I'm so very I don't excited. know why he's coming. Every morning she wakes up, looks at me, she goes, "I'm very excited I'm very to be excited. married to you." Yes. <laughs> Now make the bed and shut okay. up. Because <laughs> I'm very excited to make the bed as well, just so we're clear. Okay, what did we make here? What is this? Okay, so we have here a Pisco Punch. Uh, Pisco Punch is, in a lot of ways, what made Pisco popular in the United States. It also gave Pisco the spirit, its name, of Pisco. Okay. Um, in a very rudimentary and drawn-about way. Okay, well, so, so but on at your restaurants... Um, which we're both fans of. Um, Pisco is very popular on the menu, but is it a hard sell for those who are not familiar? Because I think Pisco people, I think people hear Pisco and they think Pisco sour, Pisco sour with that like foamy stuff and all that. And I know exactly. lots of people like it, but you know, you know where I'm going with it. Exactly. Right. So if to the average consumer, they don't know Pisco. If they were to ever taste Pisco, they would think it was tequila or something like that. Mm. Um, so I think it's it's really in DC right now we have such an explosion of great beverage programs where people are educating the guest um, on different types of products just as Lucas was saying earlier we're like in this I wouldn't I don't want to call it a renaissance but we're in an 
era of exploration. Like you should wave. write a song. Like third wave. You should write a yeah. song. Third if wave. you knew third Pisco wave. like I know. <laughs> oh, my God, no. I mean, nope. I got it tattooed on my arm. I got Pisco <laughs> Punch tattooed right here. I'm going to get it's one, that too. important to me. <laughs> Just to join in the fun. It's also on my license plate. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, Glendon, tell us, where can everybody find you? Do you do sort of programming and education on Pisco, like for the layperson, how, how do we stay in touch with you on all that? So if you were to go on to CalsaDC.com, sign up for our newsletter, we are going to be doing a Pisco club every other month where we have uh, a different Pisco producer come through. We make cocktails with them and we educate the consumer and taste Pisco. Uh, but also I'm at uh, Calsa, I would say like 80% of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And then we always... Go back to Service Bar. That's our baby. Um, we always have a Pisco Punch at Service Bar, by the way. So if you're ever at Service Bar, try the Pisco Punch. It's seasonal. It's delicious. Um, but um, I'm at Calsa all the time, calsadc.com, at okay. CalsaDC on IG. And the Pisco Punch? So that is uh, something that we've been working on for a long time. So um, that is another way to utilize products that we don't necessarily uh, want to throw away. Mm-hmm. So that is orange juice. Uh, so that's an orange Pisco sour gummy. Really? So you have Pisco in there, there you have coming? sugar in there, you have orange juice in there. Mm. Um, so we had an excess of orange juice, and we were mm-hmm. like, just just make garnishes out of it. Um, so that's another good way to utilize the ingredients to their utmost potential in Great. this Pisco punch. Love it. All right. Tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram, please. Instagram, at Cocktailery underscore Tomfoolery, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, at Calsa DC, at Amazonia DC. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Do All right. Speech? I want to say something. Yeah. Every week, you know, I went, I get on here and I ask people to make sure they donate a little bit of money to the Ukrainian cause, helping refugees and all that. You can see what's happening. Uh, the Russians have turned on each other the way a guy in a lifeboat eats his arm to stay alive. And um, who knows what will happen there. But there are still lots of people in need in and out of Ukraine. So whether you're giving money to um, – World Central Kitchen mm-hmm. or the Red Cross or whatever. I don't care if it's a buck. I don't care if it's 10 bucks. Whatever you do, every now and then, instead of buying a latte, save your money and donate it to that. There are lots of refugees all over the world, and they all need help. But this is a particularly ugly situation. Help them out. Excellent. Okay. Uh, and we want to thank all of you for joining us today on Foodie and the Beast. We are almost 15 years on air. It's so exciting. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us in studio today. Everything you heard about here, you can find online at thelistareyouonit.com. And of course, you want to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And don't forget now, Industry Night, my podcast out of the wine lair has been picked up by HeartCast Media and you can watch us on YouTube. So thank you again for joining us today. Be safe out there and have a delicious week.